Hi, this is Rick Kite with uh, Ethics Today. This is episode five, and today we're talking about farming, and our guest speaker is Kevin Mahalovic, who's a farmer in western Wisconsin. And Kevin, can I ask you just to tell us a little bit about yourself, the kind of farming you do? Well, Rick, thank you for inviting me today. I'm, a, I'm an organic valley dairy grazer, uh, so we're a dairy farm. Um, we also do grass-fed beef on our farm, and we, we our name of our farm is Mahalco Dairy, and we also have uh, Mahalco Grass-Fed Beef as part of our, I guess, another enterprise we have. So we're really happy to be working with, especially like with a co-op like Organic Valley crop, and that's really, you know, gives us a good opportunity to to really match our farming production to the type of consumer demand that, that we're you know seeing out there now so like to give you a, to give you like a, the basics of the size of our farm uh we're in northwest wisconsin near near gilman wisconsin yep. and it's about a it's about a 350 acres that we actually farm uh we have about um, up to 40 to 50 dairy cows and then the rest of that is young stock and beef grass-fed beef animals so it keeps us pretty busy we're we're happy to, to see spring here and and just ready to try to hit have the nice uh absolute greatest part of the season right how, how is now did you come from a family of farming is that how you got into farming yourself yes I, i'm Still, my dad is still involved with the farm. My parents actually, um, he'll he works with me as far as you know. We do some field operations together, like the especially the haymaking, and just everything around the farm day to day. He's he's getting up there upper seventies, but he's still you know very active, very determined to see you know success on on the farm and in, in the whole rural economy. I think too. Right. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the foundational thing for me. We come from a family. We're very like civically engaged. Everything from our um, you know scouts to you know church community, government, you know boards, different co-ops, um, membership organizations. So you know just trying to be very active and, and involved with the rural community too. Well, I. We're hearing a lot about how this pandemic is affecting the food supply. And um, right. that's one of the things I want to talk about, but also put this in the context of what's been going on, especially with dairy farms in the Midwest and Wisconsin. I know that Wisconsin yeah. lost over 800 farms just last year. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's after uh, uh, several bad years of losing quite a few especially family farms. And so what's, uh, what's going on with the pandemic uh, that, that could, is it making an existing problem even worse? Right now it's in the, in the general ag economy, it is causing a lot of disruption. Um, what we've seen specifically in dairy, and this is in the, the conventional market, it, it went from finally getting up to a price earlier in the year where it was, you know, somewhat covering costs. And that wasn't the first time I think they set on average in about five years. So 
what we have is dairy has been in a in a state of a lot of pressure and a lot of a lot of farms uh, leaving farming, and that's been a a big a big rural issue out here. It's hurting hurting our communities, hurting our schools. You know, you can imagine the just that whole chain reaction of of everything a farm supports and the, and the community that's also involved with the farm. So what we've seen is that now the market prices have really, really dropped, you know, once COVID-19 hit. And just to give you a, a general idea, I think the prices were somewhere in the $16 range and now the, the futures have been in the, you know, under 11, at, I think a couple points. So that really makes it very, very tough to to plan and to be able to, to ship milk. And also a lot of the disruption has even led to, like say when the schools closed, there's a lot less uh, milk, you know, being consumed by the, the school school population. So the, you know, there's kind of a, a, a an interesting thing happened where at first, there was a rush on the grocery stores to clear the shelves of milk, and, they, and the retailers got a little bit worried. They put in some restrictions. Uh, you can only buy, like, say, two gallons. And then that, that you know, it's, it's eased over time, but it took a while to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think as with a lot of our food system, you know, we have, we have a retail side. We have direct marketing. And then you have the whole, the restaurant chain, you know, food service supply chain. So a lot of that packaging and a lot of transportation and logistics is driving towards food service. And that had to all, you know, really shift. And it's it's been a somewhat of a struggle. Uh, one thing is with dairy plants, you can't just change like your everything you're producing and how you warehouse and store. Um, just like in a lot of a lot of business in America now, it's this uh, really short delivery time where you know they want to produce a product, have it on a truck, and then get it to the re get it to the consumer as fast as possible. So they're trying to eliminate a lot of warehousing, and then that's that causes kind of a, a lack of capacity in some and um, and it really does you know kind of in a in a time like this we could use a little more warehouse capability and ability to ship to production right. to long-term storage. So like in, in the dairy side specifically, things that could be done is uh, making more milk in the cheese or dry powder to store for future, you know, for future use. And I think that's some of the things that they're trying to get worked out, but I can just say on the farmer side, we're always typically the ones that, that get the the lowest, uh, the slowest increase in price, and then we get the fastest decrease. So there's there's never much of a lag when farmer when the prices drop to the farmer. Right. Well, and I was I was just looking at uh, like what's happening with markets. So um, Americans. Typically, the average American eats eats out, like consumes uh, anywhere from thirty to fifty percent of their food right. out of the house, right? Restaurants or or I guess at work or school, something like that. But now during this time, it's like dropped down to about ten percent. So it's sure. 
that's a huge shift in consumption and there's no way to change all of your packaging, the bottling of milk and everything over to 90% for direct to the consumer. So, so that becomes like, uh, like takeout, you know, is, is about the only thing that people can access on the, you know, on the retail side, right? I should say like on the restaurant side. Yeah. And the retail has been just, you know, in a sense, pretty overwhelmed in some cases. Uh, locally, we haven't seen too many shortages, but, you know, there, there have definitely been some disruptions. We can see it in some of the food bank uh, lines that are out there. And, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been tough on some people, especially those, I think now over 30, what is it, 35 million people who have lost their job. Right. In the last month and a half. So we really need to be very careful that we don't waste any food. Uh, you know, this, I would personally like to see a, 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 a much bigger change in the, in the broader uh, food system. But that's something that for to work on now and then into the future. But in the immediate time frame here, I think we really need to make sure that we're not wasting any food and doing the, best, the absolute best we can with the system that we have right now. Yeah. So you were, when you were talking about the, um, these, the volatility in prices, that's mainly for conventional dairy farming, right? If you're, you're a member of an organic co-op, um, are prices locked in for the year so that you, your, your pricing is a little more stable and so it isn't really affected as much by this by the current situation? The, the prices are, you know, they could be variable through the year, but there's always the, these target prices and it's in, in the organic market. And especially within our, in our co-op crop co-op, which is the organic Valley dairy side. Yeah. We, we basically have been pretty stable. And the, the thing is like typically the organic, in the whole organic market, it's much more um, like consumer driven where it's probably in like the retail markets, the you know grocery store, you know, like a, a local food cooperative or, you know, just a, it's a much more direct to consumer, not as much into the food service. Uh, the food service side is important, but it's not, it's not the biggest driver in organic. So I think the other thing is too, just you know, with the with this being a health crisis, I think people are you know just getting much more interested about their health and choosing the healthy healthiest option that they can find. So I think it's you know it's really it's really helped the organic side to be you know pretty stable so far, and we hope we can continue that. What about your beef cattle? Is that that's is that a pretty big percentage of your total operation? And and how how do you market your beef? What I I do with our beef is uh, some of some of them we sell right you know directly to consumers. So I have a kind of a list of the people who have purchased from us over the years, and it's usually like in a, a quarter beef or maybe a half. So we have that processed at a, at a local uh, butcher shop and it's all custom 
it's customized to whatever they're you know however they want it done so to me that's the ultimate is that if we can get more consumer connection like that uh, we also market through organic valley the organic prairie side so and that too we've been pretty fortunate that uh, the last one that we sent was about a week and a half ago mm-hmm. and there's still a there's still a market for, for the organic beef farmer <clears throat> the one issue i've seen is that like our local sale barns have had times where they're not taking cattle for these sales you know it's, it's gotten where if we have a major processing plant closed down you know due to the due to covid the the presence of like covid infected workers you know it takes a they have the plant might have to shut down they might have to shift the production line and you know test everybody clean up you know and, and create more distance in the in the work environment and that's all very difficult in a you know kind of the automated type uh, processing facilities they have so are for for your beef if somebody's buying a half or a quarter or something is that is that processed through these major plants or is that done uh local that's that's done locally at a a a pretty small like family family's uh size uh butcher shop so they basically service a lot of the a lot of the farmers the grass-fed the organic and anybody doing custom custom uh livestock i'd say within about a three county area right you know so they're they're very busy they the the market's been just going up and up you know for a while so it's been where you really have to plan out ahead and schedule in yep. everything and now i was able to schedule one for the end of end of june and then one for august so they're they're at they're at capacity, right? Which, which I, I think opens up. Oh, sorry. It it just opens up the. There's a whole lot of opportunity out there to get more, you know, more people setting up these businesses and being trained and really doing doing this really great job of custom, you know, custom work like that. Um. And this is one of the things I've been hearing is that we're seeing how vulnerable our food system is because it it operates uh, in a very efficient manner. But if we have some closures of like a couple major processors in an area, then it has these ripple effects. Um, How quickly could we transition to diversifying like meat processing and and some of the dairy, dairy production and so forth? I think I'll just say I'll say first on the beef side. I think that would be a little bit easier actually on the livestock. Um, a lot of these shops that we've worked with, and we work with two locally, and there we have, you know, several other options that are that are pretty good too. But that might be an existing family business, like the one, you know, we've been with. You know, it's been probably like forty years actually. Our family has worked with them or more so that you know that ownership shifted to you know to the next generation so to speak the hard thing would be actually you know building new facilities and and having somebody like trained and get certified with you to be usda inspected 
to to buy like you know new physical plant equipment um all of that is is much more expensive i think now like the stainless steel you know it's just uh it's an investment so you'd have to have number one you know some training time you know for for somebody that wants to get into that business and time to get in you know all the inspection and, and everything lined up and find a customer base but i think that's that trend has been it's definitely been happening and i think it's it's definitely going to grow a lot after after all of this right. i've I personally, as a smaller dairy farmer, what I've seen over the years is that as these companies, you know, keep merging and consolidating and getting, you know, just going from having so many uh, medium sized processing facilities to now we just, we have just really a few large ones and then a kind of a mix of smaller ones. We have, we have, you know, you look at all the children's fairy tale things, you know, don't put your eggs in one basket, you know, mm-hmm. plan for a rainy day, all those things. You know, we we need to learn that lesson. We can't we can't just have all this risk, you know, put into one place. It can be efficient in one way is you know, that's driven a lot of the egg industry. But I think there's been a lot of external costs to doing that and it's been this whole losing a lot of independent family farms has been one of the biggest problems and then i think um you know we, we need to get back to that more consumer to farmer connection and have 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 a little little bit uh more more of a connection in the middle there right yeah um and you talk about external costs one is the external costs in our communities where we have fewer families that are actually making a living by farming, right? So that you have, we have a huge right. increase in the amount of farms that are leased out. And, um, yes. You know, um, what I, I'll tell you what I've, what I've grown up through is, you know, I, I was born in uh, 1971. So I graduated, you know, coming out of the 1980s farm crisis. So I had a lot of, a lot of my classmates, you know, in a rural community who had about 70 um, students in my class. And we probably had, you know, 15 at least that, you know, we grew up on a farm. And I think, I think there's only like three of us that I know of that are involved with dairy now. Right. Well, it's, it's really, it's been a huge, huge shift. Um, I'd say a lot of, a lot of my classmates got into, you know, things like, uh, you know, construction, you know, it's thankfully been a, you know, a, a good work economy, you know, for the last, you know, I think several years. So there are some off-farm options, but I think if, if you go back, there's a lot of, a lot of my classmates that would have liked to have continued on with farming, but it just, it's just a, such a, a spiral of, of low price and high costs and, and the heavy workload. Yeah, so, I, I I see this as a as really a significant ethical problem in that over that fifty year period you're talking about from say 1970 to 2020, where we saw huge improvements in the reduction of poverty all over the world, and that's that's mainly yeah. by reducing hunger, right? So infant mortality yeah. has dropped. Uh, we rarely have 
widespread famines anymore unless they're due to war, but it's never, I right. mean, we've got so much more food in the world because we're more efficient, but I was mm -hmm. also looking at statistics like from conventional farm farming, uh, farmers only get about eight cents on the dollar that is spent by consumers on food, which that seems like a really small margin to work with if you're trying to make a living by, by growing food. Yes, that's, that's been a, it's been a real concern, you know, in the farm community for a lot of years. Um, if you look on the Wisconsin Farmers Union site, they've got a, a fact sheet that shows like the, you know, the, the farmer share is what they call it. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely urge people to look at that website and get that, get the sense that the farmer is not like in the dairy side. I would say like in the early 80s, we probably got about half of the, the retail dollar and the farmer's share has dropped, you know, just steadily, steadily down over the years. So, you know, that's, that's really, among a lot of other reasons, you know, one of the big reasons that we've taken an interest in organic and the direct marketing is to reestablish re that, that direct um, link with our ultimate or consumers that are looking for some good healthy food options so by working as a co-op having a lot of you know democracy within there you know we're we're looking at what is what is a fair return what can cover costs you know we we, we have to be able to not have you know farms that a can't make a living but just you know you can't afford to repair the roof the infrastructure starts breaking down your equipment starts to fail and probably is actually you know become more dangerous to work with so there's just a whole lot of levels where you know the farmers really should have a better return you know direct directly from a market price so what i'll what i'll say that i see like coming in to try to remedy this and you know like they'll have government programs for like you know, commodity payments or crop insurance. And that's what, what's actually happened, I think, is it's driven, you know, more production into these larger scale uh, farming operations. And they're, they're just, they're not looking at, well, what's our, you know, what's the market? We're going to make this product for the market. They're, they're just, they're dealing more in commodity scale. And I don't, I don't blame a farmer for doing that because they're, you know, there are kind of limited options out there for marketing, you know, right now, but I think we need to get a lot more inventive as farmers and, you know, within this whole food chain of, okay, what, what do they want? What, what do the consumers want? We can do, we can really get diversified. We can do, you know, vegetable crops, you know, get, and get, get innovative, get some new, you know, new type of, um, developments out there so that's that's what i've seen actually like in the in the whole grazing and the grass bed side is uh the, the grazing started out as you know looking around the world you know where were the lower cost uh, production areas and it was new zealand and um, ireland a lot of places that were really more focused on grazing so we, we took a really big interest in in how we could modify our you know, we did pasturing, but it wasn't this really intensive grazing. So once we did that, we saw a real, 
a real benefit. You know, we, we were able to kind of lower our costs, not run our equipment as much. And then we were able to get, you know, truly, we've actually got numbers to track this. Our soil is getting healthier and, you know, building organic matter in the soil. We're sequestering carbon. Um, I think it's it's just a way healthier, <clears throat> like, landscape out there, having a very diverse uh, species of crop you know, right, right in these pasture systems and we can filter water. We can really harness the solar energy, the sunlight and, and have a really sustainable long-term, you know, basically like a renewable energy type, you know, type farming. So we're really kind of managing a resource, not only conserving it, but I think enhancing the resource. One, one of the things I've been involved with over the last few years is our, our local chapter of Trout Unlimited, which is uh, basically yes. a, a water, cold water conservation organization. And uh, one, one of the things we've noticed is how, how healthy the streams are that are flowing through these pastures where there's rotational grazing. Um, in yeah. fact, it seems to really, those streams tend to be healthier than uh, streams in which there's no cattle present at all. I think, you know, what's what's really interesting is I think the farmers and the wildlife uh, experts have gotten together and really try to simulate, you know, what happened in nature, like with the, like with the native herds, the wild herds, the bison, you know, could be elk. What, what would happen like in these uh, predator prey you know, ecosystems, you would never have like a, a herd that would stay right by a river bank or a stream bank for very long. They'd, they'd go, they'd graze and come over to the stream. You know, they might have a wolf or, you know, some other predator, you know, kind of, kind of watching and, you know, they'd come in get their drink and head, head out. It's, you know, the, the problems come when we just have animals just like fenced in right on a Creek or, so I think it's been really, really, a really interesting thing to see the, the stream bank management get much better, you know, with the proper use of fence and having the cattle at the proper time. So I think I've seen exactly what you're talking about. I've actually uh, talked with David Toronto with the DNR. Right. He was, a, he was you know, really working with the, the trout streams and, and getting – the farmers linked up to do a, a really good job of this. So I, I really appreciate all that work. Yeah, yeah, he's done a terrific job here in, in especially in the Driftless area, but I think throughout, you know, all over Western Wisconsin, he's done a really great job of kind of working with owners and educating all of us about better, better watershed quality. I think that's, you know, to me, it's not even, you know, the water, the water systems are a huge benefit, but I think that when we look at um, like the holistic grazing idea, it's that we can take like kind of these abused marginal lands, you know, where they we've overplowed, we've you know depleted the soil. You know, if we if we bring livestock back and do this in the proper way, you know, we can start to get you know get the get the cover, ground cover reestablished, get plants in there, get, get a good root mass, and then start, you know, start cycling and recycling and, and getting a lot of life back in the soil, you know, get, get our, 
carbon sequestered through the roots, um, you know, bring in, you know, nitrogen through the like legume uh, plant processes. And really it's even, even the process of how an animal's hooves interact with the soil, like creating like water catchment areas for rain, you know, keeping the, keeping the water on our, on our landscape and not running off into the rivers, you know, and hopefully creating a, a sponge or, you know, like a, a reservoir right on the land. And, you know, when we build organic matter, we get, we get a much higher water holding capacity in the soil. So we won't have all these flood, flooding pressures that we've seen. Well, Kevin, uh, I, I want to thank you for taking this time to, to talk with me. And if there's like one takeaway, I would say that, you know, even though conventional farming has done a great job of, of feeding more people in the world and, and really making processes more efficient so that food has been cheaper and, and kind right. of lowering incidences of, of starvation around the world, um, we really need to diversify our farm economy. And, um, and yes. that can bring some environmental benefits as well. Well, you know, one of the interesting things that I've seen is there's a, the much more interest in like the cover crops, even even within the grain systems, and we're really promoting you know getting animals back on the landscape even even within a grain system. So I think there's there's room you know we've as farmers over time we've we've learned a lot you know said you go back to the dust bowl days we learned a lot about conservation and that there were quite a few practices put in you know at that time to to save soil and, and protect water. And I think, you know, we've, we've learned so much more now and we're really appreciating like, you know, using this modern fencing te technology to, you know, have the livestock in the right place at the right time and, you know, start, start integrating this within other crops. Plus I think this, this whole movement to like the CSA, more, you know, more micro scale farming has, has been a huge, huge benefit that, you know, I'm, I'm approaching 50 years old, but I see like a lot of the young people we work with, you know, their, their problem, their biggest issue is land access. They, you know, they might be able to get a few acres here or there, maybe rent some, have the backyard. So there's been a, been a huge movement in the last you know, at least 10 years of like really learning about, you know, like homestead gardening, you know, raising some chickens and, and that type of thing. And that it's just going to keep growing. And I think, you know, in the, one of the results of the pandemic is hopefully we have that much healthier type food system. We get our, our health improved, get our immune system, you know, to the absolute you know, highest state that we can. And I think that's that's really the positive thing that we can do as farmers is is, is achieve that type of uh, health. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a great way to end this session. I think so. Uh, thank you so much. And um, I thank you, Rick. Hope you have a great week. All right. You too. Okay. Enjoy the green grass out there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>